Hey, Jess. Yes. Guess who's obsessed with super niche early 2000s internet culture and is going to make it your problem? Well, I was going to say me until you said it was going to be my problem. It's me. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Eat a Fix, a podcast about a couple hyper fixating on obscure pop culture. I'm your co-host, Paul Unger. And I'm your co-host, Jess Unger. And whoa, do we have a rabbit hole to go down today. This was a lot of nostalgia. Yeah, this one took us way back to the early Wild West days of the internet. But to start off, there was a movie trailer that came out a little while ago that piqued my interest because the name sounded familiar. What's that? It's called Marry Me. Oh, yes. So this trailer came out and... It's romantic comedy, so I actually I'm not even I'm not even embarrassed about this. I love romantic comedies. You do. There's something about them that just calls to me. I've watched so many, and not just because like I've been in a relationship by myself. Sometimes when I'm alone, I'll just throw one on. Especially the Ryan Reynolds ones. For some odd reason, that's a very niche vein of them yeah. that I can rewatch indefinitely. It's Ryan Reynolds. It's not, it's perfectly understandable. But I tossed this one on and it reminded me of a particular webcomic with the same name, even though it's totally and stylistically completely different. And the webcomic by the same name was adapted and the rights were sold off to a movie. And now it has a 20-year-old pop star being played by J-Lo, who hooks up and marries Owen Wilson. Needless to say, we're watching this. Eventually, yeah. yes. But this trailer had come out a while ago, and it didn't even make me want to go back and re-watch it. Or, uh, sorry, not re-watch it, because you don't watch a webcomic. You read a webcomic, because that's what normal people do. Yes. But it wasn't until... We were cruising through either Netflix, Disney Plus, one of them, and you pointed out the show 16. I think we were just talking about nostalgic shows that we used to watch. And something about that just flipped a switch in my head. And next thing you know, I'm going through old web comics I haven't read in years. I just start going through it. I had to play the six degrees of separation to figure out mentally how I got there because I just leapfrogged right across the final thought. And most of the time I can usually go through and track my thoughts from one thing to another. And with this one, it didn't click until days later <laughs> because 16 was done in the same style as another show that was on Teletoon. Yes. In 2010 called The Dating Guy. Yes. And The Dating Guy was weird because it almost was a paint-by-numbers show of the least I could do webcomic. If you did the paint-by-numbers wrong. Yes. yes, because it wasn't great. <laughs> no, it's it, the wrong, everything was... Yeah, it was off. Like it, it was missing... It was palette swapped and bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Which made me remember that Teletoon was trying to develop a least I could do show. Those deals fell through for whatever reason. And then suddenly this show popped up. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, then I end up reading through and looking for group and least I could do again. And then I was talking to her off about web comics basically every day this week. Yep. And I'm not sorry. That's fine. Because this was a huge cache of just nostalgia. I didn't realize how much of our early internet days of like the early 2000s were formed around these comics. Yeah, actually, they were a huge part of my life even back when we had our website halfway between here and there. You had your website and you took me on later. I had a whole segment column page. I don't know what you call that. Anyway, where I would write about them and review them. Yeah. And I didn't realize how many I followed on sort of a regular basis. That, yeah. Like my day was kind of dictated by what comic was coming out when. Yep. Until I had the folder kind of stashed away of web comics. And it was in the hundreds yeah. of ongoing, not to mention the ones that were finished or put on hiatus. I actually had a filing structure for it. Wow. Now, here's the thing. That has been rebuilt four or five times between losing browsers or cached info. So that's within the last like four years, I've rebuilt that one. Wow. I would so, just, I just had them all bookmarked. Yeah. On the top of my, but I remember losing half my day trying to keep up with all of the ones because so many of them updated every day. They weren't on like a three day, two day. Yeah. It was every single day. So you would follow all of these and you would lose that <laughs> day just going through and keeping up. And oh, it was, I mean, interesting, but just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I wanted to talk about was a specific time when a lot of these comics started in the early 2000s and sort of that weird time when all these people were starting out and how they all developed and the culture that came around it because it's super interesting and a lot of people have different experiences with it because some of those comics ended up being very niche. So you could be reading a comic that other people never heard of, which was between us, I think, when we first started hanging out, we were swapping back and forth between different web comics that we were reading. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them didn't overlap because we just ran in different circles and didn't have that shared, like that Venn diagram didn't overlap too much of what I was reading versus what you were reading. Exactly. So I know for me, reading the daily comics in newspapers used to be a big thing for me. Like I get the newspaper really showing my age here, would get the newspaper and I love reading the comics specifically that had the ongoing stories. So we had, for better or for worse here, mm-hmm. we had Baby Blues. Yes. We had Zits. Yeah. And a lot of those had stories that were developing over time. There's stuff that was just the one gag and it just kind of had the status quo. Like it doesn't go anywhere. It's just like... The one-offs. Yes. Yeah. Like your Garfields or Hager family circus, stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember being like unreasonably upset whenever 
the newspaper would pull in Canada what I will call a Dragon Ball Z reboot, where they'd kind of run out of wherever comic they had syndicated up to that point, and they would revert back to a much earlier point and start the comic up again. Okay. So you'd get to this point where you were reading the story, be really invested in it, and then suddenly you are two years back in the comic. And you lost all your progress. Yeah. So then you're waiting for them to catch back up with it. It got to the point when the creator showed up in Sudbury selling a collection of her comics. Oh, Carolyn Keene. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I found this out and this was like maybe within a few days of them doing this reboot again. And I'm just like, to hell with it. I'm going there. I'm getting that book. I'm getting it signed. I'm going to finally read all the comics. <laughs> and Wonderful. we still have it to this day. I know. So when webcomics first came out, there was this point where all of them started off, I want to say with that Garfield mentality of they were that gag of the day or of the week. Yeah. And then... Over time, as all of them started developing followings, a lot of these people who were just kind of regurgitating those like internet jokes mm-hmm. started to actually write stories and starting to write narratives for their characters. And I have to say, a lot of them are not good or have withstood the test of time. There's a lot of cringy stuff that happened during that time yes but in a lot of cases you got to see them develop and grow as writers as artists so i wanted to go over sort of the comics that were really influential and that we've gone back and take a look at and which ones still hold up and like the ones that kind of stand out for us from that time frame okay so I know least I could do was one that was really big and actually like a shared one that we had. Yes. That was started off as your gag of the day and started developing into more storylines as the writers grew. They even tried doing their own pilot after the failed Teletoon debacle. I was actually very close to backing that. But I think they had their other comic looking for group which started off as like a wow gag yep and then i don't know if it was for copyright reasons but a lot of these started off with a clear parody of something or like there wasn't the laws at that point to enforce that they were like infringing on copyright or trademark okay and then over time they slowly shifted to make it their own thing right kind of like red versus blue I think now that's officially just added into the canon of Halo. Halo. Okay. Like there's references and like little Easter eggs hidden. Okay. But I know for looking for group, it starts off as a WoW clone and like making fun of WoW and the whole idea of finding a party and sort of all these people with different ideas of what the game is. And eventually, because they have your orc. You have your torrent, like there. You have your blood elf and your undead that form the party. Yeah, and 
eventually they drop the Torin, like as far as like the name Torin, and they come up with something else. And it stops being about the game and more about like it's its own adventure. Yeah. They just drop the whole online thing. And that was a shift. Reading the comic when it came out, I didn't realize they did because they used to do ads for the sites in WoW where you'd be able to look up info about loot and where to find it. Yep. And then at some point they stopped doing that and then the game just became, or the comic became more about the adventure and not about WoW. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really cool. Now, I haven't followed that in a few years. I think the story just became a little too convoluted over time. That's fair. Some tend to. Yeah, and I think during this time, a lot of people weren't great at writing. No, it's the season one issue with things where you got to kind of have to sit through the first couple years before the art and the story actually starts to make sense and be captivating and go somewhere. Yeah, it was really interesting to see how some people, like I know for Brian... Clevinger, he did the comic 8-Bit Theater. Okay. So to overcome the whole art style issue, he used pixel art from Final Fantasy. Okay. And his backgrounds would either be from the game or he would just toss a scene through a few Photoshop filters and just toss in the back. Okay. And a lot of the stuff was just very haphazardly done. And again, started off with the story of just characters being silly and eventually developed into a bigger narrative as it went on. It started just being like one-off jokes and eventually became more of a like jokey Final Fantasy story by the end of it. Okay. Yeah. And that one went on for years. And it's amazing how long running some of these comics went on for or like the following that these people just managed to develop yeah because looking at now a lot of those comics not so many of them stand alone now a lot of them we find like i know we both read a lot of webtoons comics yes and that's kind of become that's taken over sort of where we used to look up web comics on the regular because now it's All in one singular place. Yeah, or a couple places. Like it's Webtoons and the comic artists that we enjoy that we choose to follow on Instagram, they will post their panels there. So that's another place where I get my comics like Sarah Scribbles, Adam Tots, and Danielle Corsetto's there now as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she used to do Girls with Slingshots, which Mm. also had a huge following and was phenomenal and also was one that started out with just silliness but ended up having some really good serious topics to deal with and Mm -hmm. that was really neat too and she's one where her art like it stood out compared to everyone else when she started yeah and just kept on getting better there's some people where their art plateaued or didn't progress as far as you kind of wanted it to be yeah and her writing got better like significantly better over time. I actually think that she's penned a few comics as well. I know Kate Beaton from Hark of Vagrant, yes. who was just doing literature and history puns and jokes. <laughs> and again, it was always one-off jokes. But man, 
being on the in and understanding those really niche jokes about Jules Verne or Edgar Allan Poe or Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen, just those little things made you feel great. And the worst part about it was you'd be experiencing these comics and you'd hope that your other friends would be interested in these things. But it would be, I know for me, it was common for me to be the only one in a friend group who was reading a specific comic and couldn't get other people on board to read it. There was like the few, like at one point in time, I think everyone who was a gamer read Penny Arcade and Control Alt Delete and PVP. Yeah. There was some spinoffs and other successes that they had. Like Penny Arcade had, I'm guessing it was a pretty successful game series of four games in like a Final Fantasy style RPG. I think I played the first two and enjoyed them. Okay. I'm going to be honest. I don't. That was something that was thrown at me like a decade ago, and that one just didn't stick. Yeah, I have to say, the games stand out more memorably than the comic itself. I maybe read a couple panels of the comic, and it didn't grab me enough to stick with. Yeah, that's fair. And that was the thing. There was a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Because it's like recommending an anime to someone. You need to know what the person's tolerance for weirdness is. Or what Bef- they're into. Yeah. Like, do you like Slice of Life? Do you think that's boring? Do you like monsters? Do you like demons? Do you like afterlife? Do you like reverse heroes? <laughs> do you like... So, it, yeah. Not being specific or anything. I'm just... <laughs> in general, stories are getting it through all. See what sticks. Yeah, exactly. And you did see that in a lot of those, in a lot of those comics where... There'd be weird, over-the-top, and niche things thrown in there, I think. Randomly. Yeah. Like, like uh, for, I have an example. If, if yeah, I go may. ahead. So, In Something Positive, that was like a slice of life comic about a guy from Texas basically going about his life, dating, his best friend was a girl, but he ended up with this pink, basically bubblegum consistency cat. <laughs> And that was like, this cat would randomly be a table or melted into a vent or slither down a drain pipe and accidentally end up in another comic, i.e. Girls with Slingshots, and like impregnate her cat. And then they have half melty, weird shape shifting vampire ghost cats. So it's like slice of life, absolutely believable, totally relatable until the goo cat Yeah, and the other thing was you had crossovers and guest panels. Exactly. In a lot of cases, that was how I found out about a lot of comics. Yeah, same here. Because I didn't know about something positive. I found out about it from... Girls with Slingshots? No, uh, Queen of Wands. Oh, okay, yep. So I found out about that when there was a crossover. I went, who the heck are these people? And then I read that comic and realized that I had already missed about a few years of daily updates of story. Yeah. Which I think that was the most daunting thing going into a comic was it's like going into Marvel comics or DC comics of you're going to start reading Superman. Where do you start? Do you have to start at issue one? 
Do you have to start at New 52? Do you need to start at the Infinite Crisis? Where do you start? Yep. And at least there was some people when it comes to comics that you can go, oh, you can start here. At a webcomic, you had to start at the beginning for the most part. Yep, to understand what was fully going on and who was what and why. Yep. So when a comic has been running for three, four years, updating daily, and you want to start it, you have to go all the way back if there's any sort of narrative to it. Yep. Just to catch any running gags, any narrative. And I think in some cases that turned me completely off of some comics. Because I tried going into Homestuck at one point. Okay. Sarah Zed on YouTube has a great video about the history of Homestuck, which is two hours of my life, which were delightfully spent, including the follow-up video to that. That was a whole trip and a half. So I tried starting it up, and it was an interactive comic. Which seemed really interesting. It was a what? Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I did watch some of that video, but I'm still very unsure as to what this fandom is. It's so, an interactive comic. Yeah, so it was a partially flash animated comic that would sometimes have like games or interactable parts to it. And it developed from this weird story. And then eventually, I think I got maybe two dozen panels into it before I just stopped it because I, you were needing to wait for Flash to update. You were needing to wait for everything to load. I was trying to do this on a janky school laptop. Oh, okay. And at that point, it's just like, I can read eight comics at the time it takes me to read one That's with easy. less effort. And I just need to read. I don't need to click on additional stuff. That's fair. So I dropped it. And now looking at it, it became this weird, overblown fandom of there's animated sections and like half a movie that's done. There's so much going on to it. And like at this point, there's no way you can go back and consume all of it. It'd be impossible. Like if I told someone... Like, one of my favorite web comics is Dominic Deegan. It's yes, one of our favorite comics. It is. You actually made me a Dominic Deegan scarf. I did. And I love it. It was one of the first things that I knit for you. <laughs> but Mookie, the gentleman who wrote it and drew it. Yes. He did daily comics for years. Exceptionally so. And a lot of it's puns, bad dad jokes, the drawing style... When it starts out, it's rough, it's scanned, you can see the sketch marks. It's really janky early webcomic styles. But that didn't stop him. He kept on going and then crafted this really great sci-fi fantasy story with a lot of heart to it. But if I recommended that to someone, they have almost like a decade and a half of daily comics to go through, yeah, including his new, like, so, se like sequel aftermath series that he's done, which I need to go back and finish because it was really fascinating and, and I didn't. <sighs> so it means that you end up having these fandoms that are almost like time capsules because it's going to be really hard to get new, new fans to go through and read all of that old stuff. Like I'm sure. 
someone might go back and read all of Something Positive or all of Dominic Deegan. But there was something about that fandom or of just being into webcomics at that point where you were reading those on the daily. You were trying to keep up with it live and you knew when the artist was out because they post up something when they were going to cons. There was this weird space where you were a lot more connected to the artists when you were consuming their stuff. Yeah. It's cool. And by today's internet standard, super weird. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, nowadays, I feel like people didn't expect that much connection. Like they didn't expect the artist to tell you everything about their life or to be everywhere on social media. So, you know, like everything they're up to all the time, which is what it is now. And fans and viewers or whatever the media consumer is gets really offended if they don't have that. Back then, it was just someone doing a thing you liked and you were basically at their mercy of when they're going to release their comic. So if they missed a day, you were like, oh man, Ugh. and then they posted like the next day, like, sorry, I missed yesterday, X, Y, Z happened. Oh, okay, no problem. Yeah. Like that wasn't demanded. It was just, oops, sorry. Like, hey, I hurt my hand. I can't draw right now. So yeah. I'm going to need some time to recover. Like, hey, I'm really tired. I need to do this thing. Hey, this big life event happened. I need to, it's not every waking thing. It was just everything centered around this comic. You didn't need to know like the ins and outs of yeah. the particular artist. It was way less invasive, I think. And you also had the heartbreak of when the series started and then just disappeared. I know for a lot of people who are reading comics at this point, they'd be into a webcomic and maybe the consistency didn't stay where it was at. The schedule changed and then all of a sudden it just disappeared. It stopped altogether. Yeah. I remember reading a few comics. So the colorist for Marry Me, the first one that we were talking about. Yeah. She did a comic called Candy. And it was about a art student trying to succeed at art school and going through life, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Really cute story. And I remember reading through it and the schedule just kind of went to the wayside. And eventually it was We'll be updating soon. And other, other stuff came up. From what I can tell, she's still doing a lot of other stuff, but web comics are incredibly taxing. Yes. You got to stop them at some point. We know friends who have started up web comics and eventually just had to let it go. Other people who are still updating web comics, but not at the frequency that they would probably like to. Yep. It's a lot of work. I will fully admit on several times in my life, I have drafted, debated, considered starting up my own. And I get a few panels in, a few pages in, and I'm like, I cannot do this on the daily. I will die. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I could fill a sketchbook in a day if given the time, but to draw something with intent and purpose and craft a story ongoing that's a lot of work yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it is (laughs) she says having had one very briefly (laughs) very briefly with a really terrible art style (laughs) 
but it was quick and I could get content out fast. And I thought it was funny. It was good. It wasn't good. It's fine. It was terrible. <laughs> it's that's fine. It wasn't good. No, you may not know. Continue. <laughs> so I know for us, there's a few that we went to revisit. You had not seen Marry Me. I did not realize that there was more to the comic that I had initially read. A lot of times person puts up like an epilogue page or like a conclusion page and you're just like, okay, I'm done with this. And you just kind of save it off. I went to go show you Marry Me and there was a whole other chapter that I was not aware of. Well, there's a few and it basically got to a point where it was like, this is a bit much. Yeah. And it's no longer interesting and I don't care to follow past this point. Yep. So I didn't. (laughs) Here's also a weird thing. A lot of slice of life web comics at this point randomly had people at gunpoint when there should not be like that high of tension. I feel like that comes down to a lot of the writing, more so the writing or lack of writing experience in some people where like the tension was elevated for no reason. I think it was to keep viewership. Like they would notice they would go like along with their their day-to-day slice of life stuff. And it's like, okay, great. Another flipping panel about this guy's relationship and viewership would die off. So they would have to do something outlandish and either horrific non-PC or just unrelatably over the top yeah. to try and get that viewership back. That would also occasionally backfire because that's a lot of the reason why I personally dropped most of the ones that I was reading. Yeah. However, I think it was very common for like early 2000s internet culture to involve some sort of prop gun and stuff. I'm just thinking of like the nostalgia critic, the angry video game nerd, like all those early 2000s YouTube people and like having prop guns and stuff like that just was the way of the internet. Yeah. So I don't know. That seems like the way like a lot of stories just got soap opera, I will say. Just like random unnecessarily high tensions. Yeah, for out of nowhere for nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I know there are some of these comics that eventually went on to find a lot more success. Yep. Like, Least I Could Do now is part of Laughing Dragon, Blind Ferret. They're the group that does that, looking for group. They've done other animated segments. There is... Penny Arcade still doing wildly successful. Oh. Other people like Daniel Corsetto has actually sold off, like sold graphic novels of her comic. Wonderful. And rightfully so. Uh, we still needed to grab a collection of that and Dominic Deegan next time it comes available to print. That webcomic did not get enough love. It was so well thought out and it's not every day you get a webcomic that reading through it makes you cry at work, standing up. <laughs> I worked at a hotel. It was very not busy. So I burned through so much Dominic Deacon. <laughs> and I actually just found this out today because while looking up another webcomic, Comidity, done by Garth Graham. Yeah. 
him and Mookie wrote and collaborated on a comic called Star Power. Now, this happened after I'd finished up with like a big webcomic binge and kind of dropped them for a very long time. So I had not gone back to read any of Star Power. Mm-hmm. Like I think I'd caught up pretty quickly once it started yeah. and then just dropped it because I'm out of issues. What am I going to do? Yep. It's now completed and has been for two years. So I feel really bad about that. So Better late than never. Yeah. Now I got to go back and read that because that's going to be good. And there's surprisingly still a lot of that going on. But I find the culture of it has definitely changed. Yes. Because that Wild West throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks style of webcomics has changed. There's a lot more production in it for the ones that are successful, like... Laura Olympus. uh, Yeah, Laura Olympus and any of the Webtoons comics that have much more of the manga industry sort of turnaround process. Yep. Where there's the artist, the writer, working very hard to get their those issues out on a weekly basis, on a like monthly basis, however they have it set up. Yeah. And you see the difference between people who are doing it full-time versus people who are trying to break into the industry. Like there's a few small horror webtoons I've found while looking through the app. Okay. And again, it's those people who are starting out and trying to maintain that weekly schedule and having to go back to bi-weekly schedule to monthly schedule to I'll get it out when I get it out. <laughs> and That doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> I, and I have to keep on checking in on them because those are the people that I want to support and see where stuff goes. Of course. Still, mm-hmm. I still want to root for the webcomic underdog yep. to see where they're going to develop from there. Yep. But I know in a lot of cases, they've kind of just dropped off. I'm hoping this doesn't happen with this one because they do really good stuff. Good. But I know that there's other people like Kate Beaton went on to write... So many books. So many books and write some comic books. I think she did a few of the Adventure Times graphic novels. Oh my gosh. And some of the other creators have gone on to do a bunch of other series. One of the comics I read was Inverlock. Okay. And it's all part of Seraph Inn is like the brand that they have it under. Okay. And they did a bunch of different comics afterwards that I hadn't read. So Inverlock was one I consumed so much of. It was really well done fantasy, but she also did a comic written by Bobby Crosby, who is the writer of Marry Me, which is how I found out about that comic. (laughs) Okay. Again, it's those weird, weird connections of how you find these people. It is. Like nowadays, you still find a lot of Like you can find those organically. Like I know looking through Reddit, there is like a subreddit of webcomics of people posting up theirs every day. Okay. But a lot of those are people that we end up finding on Instagram, like uh, Otter and Fox or Otter and Foxy. Yeah. I don't think that's what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 It just feels like that whole standalone website where that was the only place you could find their content has definitely changed. Like now you can find it on Instagram, on Twitter, like it's all over the place. That 
looking up someone's janky HTML page that looked like just a little bit better than a GeoCities with yeah. the artwork. That was that weird flash in the pan part of internet culture. And it's weird to see that there's still a few sites of comics that have long since been dead, that there's no updates whatsoever. Like I think one I checked out, it was last updated in 2010. Oh. It's still linking to a live journal page for wow. official updates just to show its age a little bit. And that comic page is still up in its 2010 glory. And it's weird to see. And I'm hoping that they continue to be up, not because I think I'll go back and reread some of those comics. There's some that I'd like to go and check out to see if I remember them as good as they were. Mm -hmm. But others that are just good to be up there as like relics of that time frame. Well, that makes sense. So just before we close this off, do you want to list off some of the ones that you were really, really into? Okay, so in no particular order, comics I'd recommend that you check out, even though that they may be ancient as heck. <laughs> Dominic Deegan. Yes. Fantastic. He's doing a new series with it, yep. and it's a continuation. Questionable content. Haven't been following it for years, but it was pretty good, and it does definitely show some of the hallmarks of that time frame that I'm talking about. Girls with Slingshots, Daniel Corsetto is awesome, and she's been redoing a lot of the panels and putting them up, which, got to give her credit for that, and she's still doing a brand new series on Instagram, and you can find more on her Patreon. Dinosaur Comics is weird. It's the same panel every time, but with a different punchline. XKCD, really weirdly smart comic, and... uh a lot of people who will help you understand it if you don't. And if you just really want to see how weird the internet was at its peak of the 2000s, my recommendation to check out Dr. McNinja. Yes! It is as weird as it sounds. There's a 12-year-old boy named Gordito who rides a raptor and grow a mustache out of sheer force of will. The raptor's name is Yoshi, because of course it is. Oh, thank you. I forgot about that. And it taught me the life lesson that ninjas can't catch you while you're on fire. <laughs> it's a good life lesson to have. And what are your recommendations? Okay, so aside from the ones you literally all went through, uh, Manly Guys Doing Manly Things, that is basically a bunch of video game and TV show male overly buff masculine protagonists just hanging out in a, I believe it's a... Talent agency? It's either a talent agency or it's a reformation house. What do you call that? I don't know. It's like they halfway you, house. It's a yeah. It's like a halfway house where you go to reform if you are a villain, and it teaches you like it reintegrates you into society. It's been a while since we read that one. Yes. Also, if you go there for no other reason, it should be for Mister Fish, who is a giant Gyarados, who was the pet of a really really dumb teenage boy. There's that one. Sequential art is really good. There's a cat girl. She's adorable. And also an even more adorable, yet very, very deadly, Leonard the Platypus. PvP was really good. That was one of my OGs. Basically a bunch of nerds working in the same office, periodically playing D&D. Can't argue with that. Nope. Something positive. I don't remember much about it. That's another one that's like a slice of life. That one has the goo cat, in case uh, you were wondering. And if you're super into cats, 
there is a better than Garfield one. It's cute. It's called the Moes, M-O-W-S. And it's just cats being cats. And those are just the ones I could remember off the top of my head. So, if you have a recommendation for a webcomic, give us a shout on our social media. You go to Pod on Instagram or on TikTok, where we are surprisingly more active given our age. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? We're old. <laughs> so I know that webcomics have actually taken over a lot of it. I have Marry Me queued up, and it's something that it's definitely happening within the next 24 hours after we record this. So Jess... What have you been fixated on lately? I've been playing an RPG called Fate Tactics. And you've been playing that one a lot. That's like Stardew Valley a lot. We've Okay, well, Stardew Valley was because I was working through some mental issues. This is because getting to do something my younger self never did. I did not know I really liked RPGs and that I could be particularly good at them because in my youth, I was never allowed around a gaming system of any kind. I would either be yelled at by a step-sibling or told I wasn't good enough. So it's my inner child getting to finally do what it's always wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been having a lot of fun with that. I have, and you've been helping. Yeah, because it has battle chickens. It does have battle chickens, and it has a punchy chicken and a good boy dog who protects you. And it's got a lot of things that I really like, like dragons... And salamanders and elves and chicken people in general. (laughs) And very weird pop culture references that I need to find out who wrote this game because I need to have words with them. They are good words, though. They are thank you words. (laughs) (laughs) Mixed words. But if you want to check it out, Fate Tactics from Humble Games out on practically every platform. Yes. This is not sponsored, but. I mean, it's a good game and, you know. If you really like RPGs (laughs) and you really like uh, really good background music and a really cute storyline and very, very vibrant colors and really nice color palettes, strongly recommend. It's very good. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. So remember, like what you like. No matter what the mean kids say. Bye. Bye. So big thank you to Ethel and the Androids for the use of their song Used to Know You for the intro and the outro. You can find the link to their SoundCloud in the show description, as well as all our links to our social media. And thanks for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you like the show, be sure to review and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice.